What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rose, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Funniest player on the team for me is Belly, and it's the way he delivers them for real. It's like when he delivers his jokes, there's no laugh, and you really can't even tell if he's serious or not. Yes, we deserve this win, man. Fox Force 5, flying high in both times. Oh, my goodness. I'm feeling great, man. I'm feeling the best I've ever felt. I'm excited. I'm, I'm all about winning. I know that the fans here are extremely loyal and passionate. And just like them, I, I want to become not just a playoff team, but a sustained playoff team and eventually get back to some of that championship success and contention. With the 12th pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, Sacramento Kings select Tyrese Halliburton. Imagine being one of those players that's on a team that you know hasn't been in the playoffs in over a decade, almost two decades, about a decade and a half, and then being the first team that actually gets to the playoffs. Just being able to be a part of that would definitely be something special. And if we can, you know, end up building a championship contending team, you're winning a championship in Sacramento. Like, that's, that's looked at a lot differently. You probably feel better than you do with anything else. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Bryant West on here, as is becoming the usual. And we also have a special guest on our draft-focused episode today. We have P.D. Webb. What's going on, P.D.? How you doing? Nothing much. I'm very excited to talk about the um, long-term future of the Sacramento Kings. Yeah, and uh, Bryant, how's it going for yourself tonight, man? Good. Uh, I am also glad to talk about the long-term future of the Sacramento Kings because the current Sacramento Kings are pretty depressing, and I don't really want to talk about them. You know, yes, the one aspect that we'll, that we'll put a positive spin on this season so far, uh, we just saw De'Aaron Fox have a career night in that showing against the Pelicans, uh, 43 points, 13 assists, efficient from the field. Um, you and I have been preaching that there's been development from Fox this, se- this season, despite all the people that are saying he's regressing or if not regressing, that there's not been any positive improvement. Uh, my understanding, PD, is that you side with us on this one, and I'd just like to hear you uh, back us up a little bit here. Yeah, um, I really enjoy doing these team uh, specific dives, especially during the season, because I get to like cr- like cram a whole bunch of film. So I watched you know four and a half games before we jumped on, um, including that game. And my takeaway was like, oh yeah, like Darren has made a leap. Um, I think that if you look at the like the small stuff, like oh, there's a little bit of a free throw dip, um, or 
the defense is come and go, um, which to me just looks like uh, frustrations with some situations that are out of control, um, probably specifically offensive and defensive alignment. Uh, but the three you know, comes out of his hand a lot easier. Um, the free throw rate has stayed stable. You know, Last year it was up to 42 and it's still at 40 in a small sample size um, for a guy that quick. Uh, getting that free throw rate up while playing faster um, is a pretty difficult balance to have. Um, I just see a guy who has like more to grow, and uh, we've talked about this before, but like I believe in Rico Hines like nobody else um, in terms of uh, having on a development staff. So I think that as changes get made and as there's some tinkering with this uh, this roster and uh, how they play, it's maybe the nicest way to say it. Um, I think Fox is uh, somebody who's going to suddenly have a jump if the change is made um, on the counting stats, but there's, this is a guy who has gotten better, and I think the most important number um, is that he is up to 26 three-point attempt rate. Uh, I watched the Kentucky games uh, for a shooting project I'm doing, and like he had games where he'd you know, go 50% from three, but he'd only take three, and there'd be seven feet of space, and he was still thinking about it. And they're coming out of his hands quickly. You know, teams are playing drop, and he's making decisive decisions. Um, yeah, uh, De'Aaron Fox is, from a, again, from 10,000 feet, is somebody that has taken another leap with what appears to be one coming on a change he's made. That's good to hear because uh, there has been a lot of uh, – our buddy Greg Wissner wrote an article today on the Kings Herald talking specifically about, you know, De'Aaron Fox uh, may not be a franchise changing as in a kind of guy who can drag a terrible garbage team to uh, even mediocre success. Um, so uh, with everything that's gone so wrong in Sacramento this season, there's been a lot of people uh, who have, began wondering if De'Aaron Fox was really worth that max contract. I don't think it's a question for me. It was a clear contract to sign him to as soon as possible. And and, uh, I'm really looking forward to De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton for all foreseeable time. But it's good to have uh, somebody who's watched him for a lot longer than most Kings fans have say that you see such improvement from him. Um. So, yeah, we haven't talked since the draft. How's, like, the first, you know, 15 games of Halley been for you guys? <laughs> oh, so fun. So fun. It's something yeah. to actually hold on to with what's been a horrible start. And I think Bryant and I have said it a bunch. Like, I mean, the the playmaking was kind of expected, you know, the off-ball playmaking as well on the defensive end. But the shot creation and, like, variance off the dribble was totally unexpected and has surprised the heck out of me. Halliburton's been everything I could have ever asked for. Yeah. yeah, he's been fantastic on both ends of the court. A real joy to watch in a in a season that really needed it. I mean, I think that um, the reason why I was so excited about this fit is that, like, the things Halliburton is bad at, like, a proper deployment of Fox automatically fixes. Like, if you play fast, there's advantage already. You have fast plus Fox. But then you also have fast plus Fox plus Fox shooting a little bit and Fox getting downhill. And, you know, the free throw creation. Like, there's – that is a recipe for uh, giving Tyrese Halliburton the ability to make decisions where the defense is behind a step. Um, and that is pain, and that's always been pain. That's been pain going back to, like, him being a freshman in high school. Um, so I think that it's been nice to see him uh, play looser. I think that my issue with Halliburton was always that, like, I felt like I was getting 70% of his gambling, and that he played a little bit too safe, even at his best in Iowa State. There wasn't, like, a game where he's like, I'm shooting 17 threes. Um, 
And it feels like if there's anything that, like, playing looser and maybe a little more gambling with his decisions rather than being so calculating, which is an encouraging development from his college year. Yeah, very much so. He's definitely uh, a lot quicker to release his own shot now than I think he was at Iowa State from what I watched last year. Um, And that's good because he's already the King's best shooter now that Buddy Heald is – uh, just vanished into the ether. So much needed, and I'm looking forward to the long-term pairing. I love that he just comes on here and just shuts down two of the horrible King's Twitter takes instantly. There's <laughs> ridiculous, yeah, this, this Fox isn't progressing, and the worst thing in the world that Bryant attacked these people recently, very understandably, is the people that have no clue what they're talking about. Clearly, the, do we need to trade Fox to create uh, more opportunity for Halliburton? I'm like, what oh, is going uh, on right now? <laughs> yeah, um, Halliburton was uh, one of my favorite. He's probably one of my favorite players to ever watch in college. Um, but he's also the one that like I had to caution people against the most. Because like when you look at Halliburton, your impulse is like, put the ball in his hands. And that's the one thing you can't do. Like, even when he like when he played with Cade and Team USA at Iowa State, like the best use for him is setting up a system where he can solve problems, but he's not the solution to every problem. It's not like all right, we're gonna hit the Halliburton button now, um, because I was afraid of him rising in the draft and somebody falling in love with the idea of him creating for himself and by proxy the whole team, um, which is a way of setting him up for failure. Um, so I would say that like. The most, the best thing that you can do for Halliburton is get somebody who can get two feet in the paint every single possession and make sure that they're always on the floor at the same time. Whether that's Fox, I mean, you can probably replicate this on a second unit with, you know, super quick guys like Ish Smith, or if you want to get like a, a big body creator, uh, a big body guy who like maybe isn't the greatest decision maker, but can, you know, get some gravity or get some downhill rotations like in time that can be played with, with Halliburton. But I think that the biggest difference that I have with, with uh, the Kings faithful uh, is that, like, I'm really optimistic about the Kings uh, because on paper, like, this is uh, an, a, a pretty ideal alignment for this class. Like, if if I were to pick uh, a team that has the most optionality for, you know, different archetypes they can play with, um, depending on where the draft goes, like, the Kings are set up pretty well um, because you have a guy who could be a full primary uh, you, or you could have his uh, Fox be a 1B. And then you slide Halliburton down to to a two A, um, or you could say, okay, we're going to get Fox much more um, and try to find a, more of a three and D guy who can plug in. I think that it makes the Kings interesting. I know that that can be difficult when you're watching some of these games and they can't keep teams under 130 and uh, Zion is rampaging. Like that can be really tough. But I think that when you have a developmental franchise, like it feels that way until it doesn't, and then suddenly you're winning these games or you're fighting until the fourth quarter against Stars. And then in two years, you're a pretty good team. Then three years are actually a solid team. Four years of making the playoffs. Like, this feels like, again, I, I grew up a Warriors fan uh, in an era where drafting Stephen Curry felt like the exact thing the Warriors would do because we would take the guy whose ankle snap when he walks on the on the wrong side of the street. Um, so I understand the fatalism of rooting for a team that has tough times. But when you get a young core that works well together, like, it sometimes just does be like that, and it clicks all into place and start winning. Yeah, we've been preaching patience. Yeah, that's really good to hear. Oh, sorry. We've been preaching patience, but it's not the easiest crowd to preach patience to um, at this point. 
And, yeah, I mean, you're talking about how, obviously, a playmaker unlocks Halliburton and, and would be very useful for Fox guys to hit the hit the paint. Um, and let's just kick it off with the very top of the draft. Um, you know, Sacramento lucks into the number one pick, let's say, right now. They have the fifth best odds. They seem like every team's going to score 130 on them for the rest of the season anyways. Number one pick. I, I mean, it's an obvious answer, but who are you taking? And is it just... <laughs> It's a clear answer, right? Yeah, uh, I don't let a single second wear off the clock. Um, I sprint. Up, I send Fox to sprint up there to make sure it happens fast enough. Um, <laughs> and we and the Sacramento Kings like kick Cunningham. Absolutely no questions asked. Make sure to lock it in. Shake the commissioner's hand. Get him a jersey and let's go. Yeah, I mean, easy how, where decision you, for me too. Yeah. Uh, what are your guys' priors with Cade? Because uh, I mean, I've been watching Cade since uh, the end of his sophomore year of high school. Um, so this is a, a pretty long-term exposure for me. Um, I've, I'm pretty comfortable in saying that he's the best prospect to come along since LeBron. Um, I mean that in the, like, every other prospect had some concerns. Like, Zion has a weight concern. Zion has an injury concern. Um, it's not that uh, one is a better player than the other. It's just that there are circumstances where Zion has injury concerns or, you know, loses seasons to injury, God forbid. Um, because of how his body is built. Um, like, there were real concerns about how Lucas' body worked. There were concerns about Luka creating separation. He got better in that season between uh, uh, Real Madrid and when the season started. But Cade doesn't really have any of that. Uh, Cade is about as good of a prospect as you could possibly want for a a wing initiator. Um, And in a season that a lot of people kind of saw as uh, like serving uh, a sentence, like being exiled to the one year of Oklahoma State, he's gotten dramatically better and shown like he's not comfortable because uh Cade is a basketball terminator wired to make good decisions and all he wants to do is win by like slaughtering people with good defensive rotations and timely uh, rotations and so like him having to take 25 shots is uncomfortable but he's also like cooking people one-on-one on an island he's not happy about it because he wishes that he could just you know trap people and make the right read in a pick and roll but man uh I don't I don't know if you could ask for for a better wing creator prospect than, than what you have with Cade. Yeah, I will say that um, I'm not a guy who watches a whole bunch of high school film, but Cade Cunningham was always a name that everybody pretty much talked about. Um, and the one concern that I heard uh, from a lot of people that I read was that his uh, shooting was a little questionable or his shot off the dribble was a little questionable. And my God, he sure doesn't show that right now. He's hitting so many smooth pull-ups. Um, like you said, there's very clearly an instinct in him to be more of a playmaker, be more of a distributor. Uh, but there, I mean, that West Virginia game, uh, late in that Kansas game, it's very clear that he knows that this Oklahoma State team needs him to be something that he's less comfortable with, and it doesn't really matter. I mean, how this Oklahoma State team, it's like that's pretty impressive on its own. But Um, What I'll say if people don't want to, like if you're not a person who wants to watch a ton of film or doesn't necessarily have time, which is totally understandable, um, find a copy of that Kansas game. The first five minutes, he tries to beat them by running a pick-and-roll clinic. I mean, just it's it's not just making the right decision. He's manipulating four other defenders plus his man. It's, you know, he loves the diagonal hook pass. He has a curl bounce pass a la, like, 
rookie Ricky Rubio, where he spins it along to a cutter who doesn't see it until it drops right into his hands. You have overhead skip passes. Uh, you have, I think, a left-hand bounce pass in the pocket. Uh, and then that, like, doesn't really work. They're up, like, six. And then the next ten minutes, he just decides to turn into uh, what I've casually called Cade Beasley, uh, where he's like, okay, so I'm going to have to shoot. And then it's three, it's three jumpers off the dribble, uh, and then two times he attacks and gets foul calls. And you just watch him turn from, like, an unreasonable passing prospect into a guy who's, again, cooking Kansas off the bounce. I think he's, like, not supposed to be good at. Or, you know, it's uh, off-the-dribble jumpers off a T-Mac. I think he's not supposed to be good at. Um, and those were real concerns. Uh, the the USA year, or the USA tournament, where he played with Halliburton and, and Kyra Lewis, uh, Scotty Barnes, Zaire, he shot 8% from three because he was working on his jumper. Um, the thing is, is that he is just one of those dudes who's wired to, to get better. And yeah, to go from 8% for, he gets a six-game turn and sample size where it, it looked janky, but he shot 40, over 40% his senior year of high school, and now he's almost 40% on five attempts for 30 minutes, basically. Um, yeah, uh, this is a special guy. Um, I, I will ask this question that I think both Brendan and I have been asked quite a few times. Um, just from well-meaning Kings fans who are just getting introduced to Cade Cunningham, um, how would Fox and Tyrese Halliburton and Cade Cunningham work together? I mean, three initiators on the court, how does that even work? Um, well, one, you play fast, and that sort of solves the, your first problem. Is that, like, by playing fast, you solve all these problems. The second one is that, like, Halliburton's not an initiator. Halliburton is often running second side pick and roll. Um, you'd w- want Fox to push early. Um, Kate is a very good defensive rebounder and loves to hit ahead pass, so often you'd see possession start with Kate rebound or Bagley rebound and hit ahead to Fox with Halliburton trailing on the second side, and then Katie either running the, the middle or running an overlap into a slot. Um, the way that you do it is, I mean, Kate is almost six feet eight. Like, that's a big guy. You can run pick and pops with him. You can run inverted pick and roll where, po- where Fox is, is the screener or Fox is running off a zipper into a handoff. Um, the answer is that uh, this is the sort of thing like your offensive coordinator and Alvin Gentry would dream about, is having uh, three guys who can run an offense and two of them who can run primaries. Um, with two very plus shooters and a guy who can give him the paint basically whenever he wants to. Uh, I would say how it would work is extremely well. Uh, on defense, Cade is um, Cade is very good at point of attack. He's not ludicrous. Um, I would say that like his best thing is that he's a wonderful team defender. Um, he is uh, – I think that people watch Scotty Barnes and see Draymond, where it's like this is a guy who's yelling and barking – and, you know, is always making sure people are in the right place. Kate is doing the same thing. It's just quieter. Um, Kate is very much a person who wants to organize the defense, wants everybody to be in the right spot. And if you are in the wrong spot, he is either instructing you where to be or maligning uh, the fact that you weren't there. Um, you can watch these games, and he's basically calling out every rotation that people need to be at while defending. He's doing his job until it's like, hey, so you're going to – you got the slot over here. Hey, watch this corner. Um, competence is the main word. And then, like, you can use him to defend the bigger wings in the world. He's probably not big enough to, to handle the, the bronze, to be honest, at this moment. But this would be somebody who is an organizer of the defense who can handle point of attack on real wings, which appears to be the Kings' major problem on defense, aside from, like, knowing what they're doing. Absolutely. Just having a wing guy you could, a wing guy you can just throw out there and be like, is he good on an island? And Kate will be good on an island and organized when he's off ball. 
I just would love to have a two defenders being him and Halliburton that are just amazing off ball and have that level of understanding after what we've been forced to watch for the last who knows how many years. And I think that Fox can be that on ball defender um, when it comes to some of these shiftier guards. And, you know, I, I think that he can get more locked in with a better defensive squad around him as well. Um, do we have more that we want to touch on with, with Cade Bryant? I mean, it's like the it's the clear number one. Um, do you do you have more that you want to touch on with Cade? No, I literally have no serious concerns. Assuming that the Kings get a smart coach who can uh, get all three players to buy in with uh, you know a super fast system, which has always been. Uh, I mean, it was the golden era of Kings basketball. They have a super fast team with as many high instinct passers as possible. So uh, why wouldn't Sacramento fans want that? It's a clear pick for me. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, I mean, the pace has always been obvious. Uh, It should return at some point, I would think. Um, And the guy that we've been preaching as the number two um, with much less research than than PD Web Media, uh, admittedly, is Evan Mobley, who we are also hoping could be a savior to some of these defensive issues. Um, I, I guess starting with that end of the floor, um, Mobley, Mobley being a seven-footer from, from USC, um, how, how do you feel that Mobley fares as a – can you just give us sort of the rundown of him as a defensive prospect and being the anchor? Yeah, um, so Mobley is built like a seven-foot guard in terms of his physique. Um, he's probably a little like built guard. He's built more like a guard than Bagley is. Um, Bagley, who is known as this, you know, high movement prospect, especially on offense. Um, Bagley as a prospect had defensive flashes of like, wow, big dudes aren't supposed to move like that. Um, if you watch, uh, Mobley on defense for about three possessions, you're going to have four or five times. You're like, big dudes are not, are just should not move like that. He can be put on an island with college ones and, and slide with them. Um, he closes down spaces at a pretty ludicrous level. I mean, long arms, quick twitch. Um, he was raised as a point guard. Uh, his dad, Eric Mobley, is one of the assistants at USC, um, former professional basketball player, and he raised his kids to be uh, his other son, uh, Isaiah, is also at USC. And they were raised to, you know, play point guard on offense and center on defense, so they're very cerebral players. Um, he's not a uh, a like a damn solution on defense. Like he's not, you can't just use him to cover every problem. Um, the biggest issue with him on defense is one, he's a little skinny and two, he doesn't have the like 1990s Georgetown center philosophy of like, I'm going to try to block everything. He's very aware of fouls and very aware of what he's expected to do on offense. So like he makes quite a few business decisions where he decides, you know, I'm not going to jump for this floater. Um, and it, can impact his overall rating. I think in, in the pros it's fine just because he thinks the game is such a high level. Um, you can use him to show. You can use him to switch. Um, I'd say that the difference between him and Wiseman in terms of my enjoyment of watching them play basketball is about as stark as possible. And um, USC yeah. is not generally – USC is not generally what I would call, like, fun to watch. But Mobley is, like, everything that you would want in a modern big uh, on defense. Uh, he needs to add weight, but – you know, great movement skills, uh, extreme scheme diversity, uh, the ability to just flummox guards. He, he can close down these spaces where they think that, like, a heavy pull-up is going to work and Mobley just catches it. Um, 
the on offense, uh, he's a fantastic passer for his size. Um, he covers ground like like nobody's business. Um, the best plays often just like throw it up in the air. It doesn't necessarily need to be like for a dunk, and he'll just figure out a way to get it towards the rim or bring it down. Uh, a really unique problem solver for his size. Um, he's you know a good shooter for the numbers. Doesn't take a ton, but we're talking about a guy who doesn't really have um, an offensive ceiling uh, because there's not that many guys who have these movement skills. Um, for you know, it's not uncommon for him to you know block a shot. Uh, catch it midair, dribble down court, and then initiate like five-one pick and roll, and then he'll make the proper read. And then if he gets it back, he can take one of the like absolutely unblockable fadeaways that uh, that he has out of a, a mid-post catch. Um, if Cade is you know this once every like decade type of guy, Mobley is by no means a slouch. Um, this is the most interesting second pick that at least five years. Like this is probably the easily the most interesting since Ben. Uh, Brandon Ingram in terms of conversation, and I would say Mobley is mm-hmm. a better prospect than Brandon Ingram. Um, so I think that if where other years there's this huge drop off between one and two, um, selecting Mobley isn't probably going to result in immediate winning the way that K will, just because K impacts the game uh, at a different level in terms of just like day one. But uh, if you were to to grab a fan and say like, "Hey, you're gonna get uh, Mobley," they might not know that's a blessing. But man, is that a blessing? Because him and uh, again, him and Albert and your sacking uh, skills that, that layer on top of each other, and you have two guys who can positionally plus plus pass, um, two absolutely tears and help side, and two guys that uh, really play the game in a in a fun and uh, cerebral way. Yeah, I agree with uh, pretty much everything you just said there in terms of. He's my clear number two, um, and I'll admit I haven't watched a ton of film on the rest of his class, but I highly doubt that anybody can catch up to Evan Mobley. He's just an absolute joy to watch. Um, like you, I watched those three Wiseman games too much, too many times last year, um, and and Evan Mobley is just so much more my type of uh, high-feel kind of player. Um, I do know that no single player could come in and fix this King's terrible defense, um, I don't think you could bring prime Ben Wallace into this team and suddenly fix this Kings defense. But having a youngster with uh, Mobley's defensive instincts, his switchability, uh, and, you know, you talked about how he makes a lot of decisions, uh, business decisions with his rim protection. He's still nearly got a 10% block rate. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, Kings still need some strong forward defenders, but, I mean, the clear – clear solution to uh, a whole bunch of the defensive problems they've got. So uh, Mobley had a, a strange senior year in high school. Um, you know, he, he has this thing that, that happens a little bit where, like, people are too good for the competition. Like, playing in, in Los Angeles is, you know, obviously one of the, the best high school basketball areas in the country. But the most interesting thing that happened was him versus high school referees where he would try to frame blocks. So, like, he waits until people shoot. He gets, like, again, it's almost like Bill Russell. Like, you could watch the, the Red Auerbach videos on how to block shots, and he would tell you the things Mobley does, is you wait until they're off the floor and you get it at the high point. And high school refs didn't know what to do when they saw a seven-foot guy wait for people to take, you know, floaters or whatever. Then he would jump up and just pin it to, like, almost the top of the backboard. Some of them would call blocks, and he'd be like, no, that's literally frame perfect. Uh and other times, like, that was the highest level of competition he got was refs misinterpreting rules because they've never seen mutants before. Um, and he's brought that to USC where he just does that now. 
like people take layups, and you just watch like when you watch the extra slow mo, you can watch a college player go like, no way, as he just like flies in with his spindly arms and just steals the ball off the backboard. It's it's one of the like when you watch a lot of college basketball, which isn't always a fun experience. You have to find moments of your own joy, and watching Mobley decide that he's going to just steal a ball off the backboard in midair is is one of the actual joys of of this draft class. So he's clearly got the instincts. Do you have any concern that he won't be able to um, bulk up enough uh, to handle centers in the at the next level? So his 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 brother's a lot bigger than him. His brother probably has like thirty pounds on him. I would say. Um, I think that his movement skills offset the weight concerns quite a bit because he's just going to be able to get to positions that other people cannot. Um, he's fairly strong for his size. Um, and he's extremely uh, he's an extremely quick jumper. Um, it's not S tier like Bagley was, but it's you know just one little level down. Um, but on defense, it's it's used a lot differently. Where Bagley saw himself as a four, um, I would say that Mobley slides better than Bagley does as a as a guy who's bigger and longer. Um, I think that those athleticism and like fluidity um, attributes reduce the need to bulk up at the five. Like, Steven Adams is going to give him some problems regardless of how big he gets, but he's going to be able to present so many avenues of value that that is somewhat mitigated. So he may only need to add, you know, 20 pounds in the league to get to, to you know, holding a position where a guy with lesser movement skills would need to add 30 or 40 just because they can't get to the spots that he can and can't read the games unless he does. Yeah, and um, obviously spacing is a very crucial um, aspect of, of the offense needed to unlock a lot of Fox's game being a lead around the basket. Um, do you do you buy the eventual three-point shot of Mobley that's been pretty on, on low volume, or you know does a lot of that get mitigated if you're just kind of able to not fully run the offense through him, but in a slight way with, with some of the playmaking as well? Or how, how do you make of the um, spacing that Mobley would supply Fox? Um, so, basically, he could shoot pretty poorly, and I would still buy it just because the history of bigs at his age who can uh, who have, like, extreme hand-eye coordination. Like, Mobley catches things that, again, I hate to bring up Wiseman, but, like, Wiseman could never dream of catching. Um, Wiseman has, you know, flashes of a dribble, but, like, Mobley has a handle. Um, so the history of guys with that level of coordination this young are almost all shooters. Um, so while the jumper has, you know, little things they get cleaned up, um, I think that it's not will he shoot. It's like, what are the limits of it? Like, can he shoot off movement? Um, how many threes off the dribble would you like him to take in a game? I think that the idea of like, will he shoot is, is probably a couple exits behind us. And you need to look more at how many jumpers would you like him to take? in a game and how, what allocation of his offense would you like that to be? Yeah. And so, oh, go ahead, Brian. Sorry. Um, so clearly Cade and Mobley are one and two for you in this draft. Uh, let's pretend that things go kind of okay for Sacramento, but not too great. And they end up with like pick three. Um, who do you think would be best beyond the names we just mentioned? Um, so I think that the the answer that you'll get most, and I think that this is what I would lean towards, is uh, Suggs from Gonzaga. 
Um, Suggs is sort of uh, – he'd be a third guard. Um, he'd be a, like a third power guard. Um, he's sort of a fun midpoint between uh, Fox and Halliburton. You know, he's another great decision maker. Um, he's not like a ludicrous decision maker like Cade or, you know, a guy who can absolutely like make things out of mid thin air like LaMelo. But he's a very good passer who consistently makes the right decision and consistently can manipulate things. He's just not, you know, making four-dimensional chess moves. Um, a good shooter, especially off movement. He's at like 37% um, for this year at Gonzaga. Um, a very good defender. Again, high IQ guy. He's on the older side for a freshman. Um, but it's sort of a do-it-all guy, and this is probably your safest bet to produce like value outside of the top two. Um, you know, is probably on one of the best college teams that you know of the decade. Um, doesn't get fouled a ton considering how strong he is. Um, but I think that the Gonzaga utility is also like fairly indicative of what you would like him to do at an NBA level, which is that you don't really want him to be the man. Um, but if you can get him to be sort of a 1B or a 1A with a really strong 1B, um, he's really, really useful because he has so many uh, smaller skills that come out in that context, um, which makes like this lineup of, of – Again, Fox, Suggs, Halliburton, really fun because they overlap in a lot of ways, and the, the off-the-dribble shooting would give a little more space for Fox, and then you have two more decision-makers against the tilted defense. I think this is, again, a very good uh, fit. That's that's the beauty of this this King situation is, the, like, the two, you know, guards, creators that they have allows for some really interesting combinations that is pretty hard to mess up. Yeah, you know, I'll say as a fan of a college team that has the misfortune of being in Gonzaga's conference, um, I watched uh, Jalen Suggs start the game against my beloved St. Mary's Gales uh, this weekend, and he had a whole bunch of turnovers. And I thought, well, if he keeps playing mortal, maybe they'll have a chance. But uh, he and the rest of that Zags team took over, and this is easily – I feel like I say this every year, but this is easily the best Gonzaga team I've ever seen, and I've been watching them for 12 years now. Um, but I agree with you that he's just such a well-rounded player. Um, he clearly is getting a lot of help in terms of this team is clearly offering him other um, playmakers so that he doesn't have to be the only initiator. Uh, he's clearly not having to take on the – total defensive responsibilities at the point of attack, but he's sure a joy to watch. And that Kansas game, I mean, if you only have one game to watch for Jalen Suggs, uh, would it be that Kansas game? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, 24 points, eight assists, four rebounds, first game of the year. That was pretty impressive. Yeah, and, you know, I feel like I've heard a lot of talk recently, and I think from yourself as well on the on the Prep to Pro pod, um, of this Jaden Springer versus Jalen Suggs debate. And I uh, I, I kind of thought you were on the other side of it here with Springer. Um, what, what, what made you lean uh, Suggs between the two? Um, I mean, if I were betting with other people's money, I would take Suggs. If I were betting with my own money and it were my job on the line, I'm taking Springer. Um, Springer is younger. Um, Springer is uh, the best point of attack defender in this class. Um, he is uh, also extremely young, and uh, when I evaluate guys, I tend to give a bonus to uh, players that are what 15, he's 15 months younger than Suggs, I believe. 
Yeah, he's um, going to be 18 on draft night. Yeah. Um, and to play as well as he is and also like to physically terrorize college basketball as much as he does uh, for being that much younger is a, a large bonus. Um, he is a bit of a reluctant shooter. He, the numbers are really good. Um, but he's playing in a Tennessee system that him and, and fellow stud freshman Keon Johnson aren't uh, playing 35 minutes a game. They're both playing about 22. I want to say if you average the two of them. Um, and in the minutes he is, he's just a terror. Um, uh, just a, a big, strong guard who makes good decisions, who has uh, a really interesting growth trajectory. Um, a good but not excellent passer. But, again, he can create things in a way that, like, Suggs quite can't. Like, one-on-one on an island, both on offense and on defense. Um, I find Springer to be more interesting. Um, my biggest concern with him is that he doesn't quite get fouled enough for a guy who is built like a house for a guard. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that if you said, well, nobody's going to fix this uh, Kings defense, like, if you wanted somebody who – could make a, a, a day one impact defensively, at least point of attack. Um, I think the bigger Kings issue isn't that um, isn't that the team isn't necessarily cohesive. It's the like one that it's so easy to get by one guy that the backline guys are like, well, I'm going to risk my playing time by going to contest the shot or fouling. Like, no, you stay in front of your guy. And uh, Springer would very much be a guy who takes pride in you know whether it's ones, whether it's twos. Um, both Fox and Halliburton um, are a little bit position limited on who they can guard. And Springer allows you to, to slide them around depending on which uh, offensive five is on the floor. Um, yeah, Springer is, I would say, my guy of the, the non-Cade Mobley guys, uh, mostly because I think the, the intersection of youth, uh, shooting improvement, and point of attack defense is one that I find to be very interesting. Yeah, I will give you credit. You were uh, the dude who tilted me towards uh, Tyrese Maxey binge-watching pre-draft, and uh, I fell in love with his point-of-attack defense. And I imagine that as I watch more and more Tennessee games, uh, the the one contest that uh, I watched against uh, Vanderbilt, that was really impressive. His uh, his point-of-attack defense for a dude that young is, was really fun and uh, uh, addicting to watch. Yeah, I, he also is probably the person who did the best job, the best job against Cade of anybody in in high school. Uh, he he went to IMG, Cade went to Montford, and uh, Cade had some legitimate trouble against Springer, um, which is a, a feather in a cap. That's pretty impressive for a six four uh, guard to be giving a six eight guy that much trouble. Uh, can we can we put on the conspiracy uh, music real quick? Uh, Springer's family is all super tall. Um, and so there is a chance that Springer does get taller. Uh, his, I think his dad, every his dad and his three brothers are all like six seven, six eight. So there is a chance that Springer could grow. I heard you arguing this with the prep to pro guys. I hope this is true because uh, Lord knows the Kings could definitely use a, a six six or taller uh, point of attack defender. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. 
the concerns I think that most people would have of, you know, Suggs and or Springer alongside Fox Halliburton would be on the defensive end of the floor with a lack of size, but we've seen three-guard lineups uh, work throughout the league, um, and you feel comfortable with either one of those defensively as that kind of trio? Yeah, I mean, that's – I think that one of the – when you have a, a speed guy like um, like Fox and then you have a, you know, a, a shooting plus – Cerebralness, cerebralism. I don't know. I'm doing my best here. Uh, like Halliburton, having a, th- a third style works really well. Where you have, you know, like a, a smaller, stronger guy. Um, that flexibility, and I think Springer shooting is real. So again, we have overlapping skills in shooting. We have overlapping skills in off-ball defense. So if Fox does uh, bring the intensity that he's flashed before, with the the ability to fluster ball handlers, having Springer and Halliburton waiting. Uh, in help side is going to be terrifying for those deflections and run out the other way. Well, college games have started in excess, uh, but there are a couple of guys that are at a lot at the top of a lot of mock drafts right now who we don't quite have so much uh, current game film on. Could you educate us on the games of uh, Jalen Green and uh, Jonathan Kuminga since uh, we're waiting on them to get in the G League bubble before we can really see how they're playing for this uh, G League Ignite experiment. Yeah, let's start with the uh, fairly hometown Jalen Green of uh, Fresno, California. Um, he is sort of a, a hyper-athletic two-guard um, of sort of like a 90s vintage, I would say. Um, if you get any kind of uh, separation, he's going to try to bang it on you. Um, just, you know, every possible amount of flexible athleticism that you could crack it, pack into a six-foot-five person, he's got it. Um, the progression in his jumper over the past couple of years has been pretty staggering. Um, he was making, you know, off the dribble, you know, self-created step backs with regularity, his senior year prolific prep. Um, the, the move to the G League over schools like Memphis or Kentucky um, offered a chance to sort of like tone down the like killing of bad teams where he could shine in a uh, I'm more athletic than you sense and putting him into, you know, a pick and roll Read based system. He's really skinny, so the weight is is pretty important for him while maintaining his flexibility and athleticism. Uh, and the swing skills for him are feel and his handle. Um, it's an open question how much uh, creation equity you want to give Green. Um, he was obviously a, a mega creator in in high school um, versus smaller guards who would climb into his handle. He had much more problems. Um, which is uh, an archetype that there is a ton of in the NBA, small guys who just love to climb into handles. Um, so I think that he's somewhat interesting for the Kings, um, but I don't necessarily see him as a problem solver in terms of the the point of attack defense that is needed or the bigger body. Um, I think that in a world where, like, you know, it was Green plus Halliburton plus a third player, like that's an interesting combination. Um, obviously, the accumulation of talent is important. But uh, the fit isn't one I'm not I'm necessarily in love with um, from that perspective, which isn't the same thing about him as a prospect. But you know, um, a synergistic 75 is is more important than just a, a bad fit as an 80. Uh, Kuminga is um, he's huge. He's you know six eight. Uh, he is a guy who is very difficult to evaluate in high school because he can get to basically whatever he wants whenever he wants. 
um, which is a gift and a curse. Um, when you're a 6'8", uh, hit your head on the backboard every time you try to dunk uh, athlete who can get up off one or two feet uh, with a good handle and the ability to just knock people off spots if they come close um, to the handle. Uh, it allows you to kind of do whatever you want to because it, it doesn't really matter what defense is played um, with the exception of the, the hyper-early teams or hyper-early prospects. Um, it is uh, the challenge with him is feel. Um, what are the reads he can make? How comfortable can, uh, is he making them? What's the comfort with it? That was never something that was brought out uh, in EYBO or in high school for him. Um, and it is a little bit of a uh, of a difficulty not seeing him in a college setting where like those reads would be all the time. Um, where if he were in uh, like a Cade situation, it would be played very obvious where his reads were, where his feel was. So playing in this uh, somewhat more stilted G League setup, um, when they do finally play, it's going to be difficult to see uh, what his feel level is in small sample size. Um, I think that he does make sense um, for what the Kings do need because, like again, he's a a huge wing. Um, the defense is it's possible for him. Like again, uh, just a, a freak of a dude, but he's still uh, pretty embryonic um, in his uh, in his maturity process. Um, uh, in terms of the feel and the reads uh, on offense and defense. I think that he's the guy who is going to spring up late um, in the same way that Pat Williams is, because if you get him in a one-on-one workout, you're going to be like, wow, this is a wild dude. Um, I think that I lean a little bit more Pat Will because Pat, you know, had a track record of just really, really high field defensive rotations, um, and Kuminga is more uh, offensive firepower and shot making. Um, and Shot making without uh, an underpinning of defensive feel or pick and roll equity is uh, something that requires a very deft uh, developmental circumstance. And I'm not entirely certain that's the one for the Kings, um, depending on obviously the that coaching situation and what the timeline looks like. But uh, a, a fascinating prospect to be certain. Where did you have these guys ranked uh, coming out of high school, and, and how has that varied, you know, not getting, not being able to see them and maybe some other guys uh, sliding up or down based on what you've seen out of college? Um, I mean, the way that college has kind of gone for these guys is that almost everybody's gone down. Um, through uh, difficult college contexts or injuries or uh, lack of availability, more freshmen have gone down and sophomores and juniors have risen than, than like, sudden freshmen appearing. Um, that's also because, like, people didn't have – colleges didn't have time to, like, set up plays. You know, they didn't have enough time for everyone to get comfortable. So freshmen really got the short end of the stick because now they're in an environment where the juniors and seniors know what they're doing. The freshmen are adapting to a new weight room, a new coaching staff, a new rule set. Um, so this is a, basically, if you were to engineer a circumstance for freshmen to look bad, like this is the one that we have. Um, I think with Green and Kuminga, um, they've been seen so much at the high school and AAU level that like people knew exactly what they were. So when they, if like Kuminga starts to make you know one-handed skip passes um, versus drop, like that's going to stand out tremendously. Um, or if Green is able to. Um, you know, run pick and roll with a, a guy who's smaller and, and, and more stout, uh, guarding him closely in pick and roll. Like, that's that's going to stand out. So because they've been so well scouted, it's very clear what they are and aren't going into it. So it's actually going to be a little bit easier to scout than guys who had sort of creaked up the rankings slowly. Like, Green's been a deal since he was in eighth grade, basically. 
Speaking of guys in uh, less than ideal uh, college situations, uh, I know you were a really big fan of Jalen Johnson last year. Um, is his fit with Duke bad? Is he still worth um, the top ten pick? Okay, yes, uh, his fit with Duke is very bad. Um, he's had some injury stuff that's, that's kept him out of a few games, so I think that he's only at six games right now. Um, and the fit is uh, it's not good. Um, Duke has one of the weirder rosters that I think I've seen out of a blue blood. Um, like the Kentucky current roster is is its own issues because they're losing games, but like the Duke roster doesn't make sense because you can't get the five best players on the floor really. Um, so. You know, they have returning sophomores who needed playing time, but also they don't really mesh with – you can't create a defensive lineup with Hurt, Moore, and, and Jalen Johnson on it. So Coach K sort of has these uh, challenges for a guy who um, may or may not be at the top of his game, or he was like five years ago, where he has to get, you know, five-man units that play together for three minutes and kind of run different offenses at different times. Um the book on Johnson was sort of like, you know, a, a, a jumbo either point forward or you know, oversized primary creator, uh, 6'9", 6'10", um, difficult jump shooter. Um, he was much more willing to take them, which is always encouraging for me. Um, the scariest thing in the world is guys who are just will not shoot. If you can't shoot, that's its own problem, but you'd, you'd at least be willing to take them in games. Um, he's a very, very, very good passer, um, and especially when he has advantage, he's uh, a guy who is consistently you know, double and triple clutch, uh, skip passes, and just waiting for a defender to overhelp by a little bit. Um, I think the difference between him and sort of the guys in his archetype, which would be sort of like Ben Simmons and uh, and Bam, you know, current Bam, not, not Kentucky Bam, is that he's a mixed bag on defense. Um, he doesn't have ludicrously long arms. Him Playing him at the five doesn't really work because he's not um, another worldly rim protector even at college level. Um, my general scouting philosophy is is to like bet on the theory of guys early. So like the idea of Jalen Johnson as he came out of high school didn't translate. So I have no problems really like sliding him down as, as that theory didn't you know, apply to a college game. Um, I think he's still worth a top ten pick because, you know, Six, nine, six, ten guys who could pass, who have you know the ability to guard fours and maybe in time play some small ball five, um, who can you know attack closeouts and uh, do get fouled. Like that's a that's a pretty rare thing that is useful for NBA teams. I don't know if that's the building block of a franchise, but for an upside bet um, in you know seven, eight, nine, ten uh, in a draft like this, that's certainly uh, a worthwhile gamble. And I think that if the Kings were to you know, uh, go on a winning streak or or have some extremely bad lottery luck. Like, this makes sense with their roster construction. Obviously, other things would have to happen. Like, this doesn't solve all of their issues, but it would certainly be another, you know, potentially dribble pass shoot, uh, big body defender. Yeah, I've seen a, a lot of, um, like, you, like you said, great playmaking in advantageous situations, which obviously is in transition often, um, but have seen some concerns when it comes to his half-court offense, um, you know, uh, with defenders backing off of him and maybe not the great burst to, to blow by them or anything like that. And, and Fox has had some concerns in half-court offense that I think he's uh, continued to grow out of. Um, would you worry about maybe a little bit of half-court offense with uh, those two along with Halburn? Yeah, um, it would be a worry, especially early. 
Um, I think that Johnson's not quite the like Ben Giannis level um, physical marvel, where like if you back off, he gets to the rim no matter what. Um, he's a little bit more wired to pass and isn't really capable of generating uh, a wall every time he touches the ball. So he, there is going to need to be shooting development for him to work. Um, but there has been quite a bit of it in the past two years. Um, when I saw him as a junior in high school, I thought it was, the jumper was pretty irreparably broken. Um, but the willingness to continue to take that in college um, and make them – I mean, it's a 40% right now, but that's not, you know, real uh, – is is a solid sign. I think that if you short roll him, you could get into some really interesting stuff. Um, if Bagley could play the five and you could get, you know, um, him at the four to short roll with Bagley in the dunker spot. Um, which is sort of like the idea of how the Golden State Warriors work currently um, with Bagley playing the Wiseman role. Um, that would be good, but you, I would much rather have – I think that any vision of Johnson starts with advantage has been created, then he gets the ball, versus players like, you know, Ben or Bam, who, who, are, the cre- who are the advantage creation themselves. And that's what brings him uh, from the tier that I envisioned him as to the one where he currently is. Uh, continuing on the uh, trajectory of uh, freshmen who are in disadvantageous situations, uh, poor B.J. Boston's stats have just absolutely plummeted. I know Kentucky is uh, not great this year. Um, what is his trajectory? You shared a really good clip of him struggling to create any any uh, spacing against Vanderbilt. Uh, I think that was this morning. What? How does he create offense at the next level? Okay, so um, I think that there was a little bit of uh, a misunderstanding about the history of B.J. Boston before he came into Kentucky. Um, he played with Sharif Cooper um, his entire UIBL time. Uh, it was Sharif Cooper, B.J. Boston, Isaac Crow, which is, again, just a, just a, a nuts AAU team. Um, and then when he, you know, his senior year, he played at Sierra Canyon with Zaire Williams. Um, BJ's never been the guy, really. He was at, at Norcross, was his first high school, but like that's a you know a Georgia public high school, um, a good program, but it's not being held to the same standards of, of creating uh, for yourself on a national scale. Uh, this Kentucky team was created with the idea with the idea that Askew was going to uh, the Kentucky port guard Devin Askew was going to create enough advantage that BJ wouldn't have to do everything himself. Uh, Terrence Clark, their other Major five-star. Um, also struggles with advantage creation, struggles with shooting, and has had some injury issues. So BJ is in a world where there's no spacing. Um, the play calling is not one that sets him up for advantage. He often has to deal with one, four flats. Uh, and he is really skinny, and the jumper has not fallen. So this is about as poorly as it could have gone. Um, he's in a cir- circumstance where defense know what know what's coming. They know what he doesn't like. Uh, which is, you know, close contact, and they know that he can get bathed into to difficult shot attempts. So um, it's not that this is, like, a bad context. It's that for him specifically, this is, like, the worst possible context you could imagine, and it's not been helped by his performance in that context. But it's important to evaluate that, like, if you were to, like, make a Saw movie about B.J. Boston's, like, college choice, this is literally the circumstances you would draw up. Um so he's a shot maker, but he's not necessarily a shooter. I think that, you know, with enough time, the three-pointers will, will stabilize a little bit. And, 
you know, any six, seven person who shoots 75% their line is, is going to be at least an average shooter. Um, if you can get him as the secondary guy or the tertiary guy where he can attack closeouts where he doesn't have to shoot off the movement, off of movement all the time, but he's, you know, getting easy catch and shoots or, you know, one dribble into a deeper three, um, he's going to be fine. Uh, defensively, a guy who struggle with contract, contact, he's going to be, have to be on the third wing on the floor pretty quickly at all times. Um, he's not particularly explosive. He needs a weight room, uh, a multi-year weight room plan pretty badly. Uh, this is somebody that I think would be valuable in a, in a wing rotation similar to like how Atlanta has developed Cam Reddish, um, which is, you know, to take him slow and, and work on the physical elements to, to pair with the ball skills. Um, if you don't have a, a stable of wings, I don't think BJ makes a ton of sense because he's going to need to be slow played. Um, it's not that he's not a one and done. It's that expecting him to have high usage at his current physical capabilities. If the shooting doesn't go, he's not a valuable player. Um, when he shoots, like he's going to be fine. But on times where things go cold on an NBA floor, which happens to basically every shooter, um, he needs to have another way of, of impacting the game. And he struggles to get fouled. Um, he has basically, you know, he's not a particularly good passer. He gambles a little bit in passing lanes. He can't work. He has a positionality, which is the smallest wing or the, the, the least on-ball wing possible. He moves feet well enough, but he can't leverage his size because of his uh, core and posterior chain weaknesses. Um, he's worth a top-ten pick, but I would suggest that uh, the team that drafts him has a particular context and a plan to bring him along slow. So I don't think it's a particular fit for the Kings um, unless, you know, consolidation trades are made um, where they can, you know, bring him in behind other, either young other young guys or um, wings who, who bring in other characteristics. Yeah, well, a complete lack of wings on Sacramento's roster uh, kind of hurts that one a little bit. Um, let's talk about his high school teammate that you, that you mentioned there as well, playing at Stanford now, Zaire Williams. Um, who I've seen a lot of praise for him on the defensive end of the ball as well. Um, yeah, can you just get into Zaire, who my understanding, you know, started the year a little underwhelming as well? Yeah, uh, Zaire had a, uh, and this is the most uh, Stanford sense possible, had an on-campus biking incident. That <laughs> um, Yeah, he uh, he crashed his, his bike on campus, like, while trying to get something out of his pocket, I think, and it, it ended with a knee sprain. Uh, he, I think he didn't have like mittens and his hands were cold. So he's trying to keep his hands in his pockets. Um, and it, it crashed his bike and it messed up his knee and he had to wear this extremely ugly knee brace for like six games and he couldn't get anywhere. Like, it was like he was stuck in mud. Um, guys like Cam Reddish, uh, you know, BJ Boston, uh, Zaire Williams to, to some degree all struggle with just like not physically being able to squat. Like they're, they're dudes who, you know, could put up the bar, maybe like a plate, maybe. And it means that they, whenever they encounter contact, they kind of fold. Um, as they are exposed to an NBA strength conditioning program, this archetype generally adds strength well. Not everybody's going to be honest because you almost had other, you know, concomitant factors like malnutrition. But when you take skinny guys and, and give them, you know, a, a good strength conditioning program over a period of time, they can start to add explosiveness. Um, once the knee injury healed, uh, Zaire started to shoot a little bit better. Um, he's always been, in my eyes, a better shooter than BJ. Um, you, when you're six foot eight, six foot nine, I think he's six eight. That's what he's listed at. Um, with a high release, you can get out pretty much anything. Um, and he also shoots moon balls, uh, which is really fun to watch. Like he takes these deep threes with a high release point 
And there's like a full second where it's just in air. Snaps um, the net. Yeah. Um, long arms and skinny. Um, is a, is Long arm skinny shooter is an interesting combination. Um, I think that he he's better at defending like small guards than he is wings. Um, he moves laterally really, laterally really well. But if you change directions or give him any uh, like force, he can struggle to like the the thing that's been an issue for him is like the college guards who are 24 years old um, and you know have been doing uh, trap exercises for for five years just give him problems because they're bowling balls and they can just move him slightly out of the way. Um, but the you know the NBA isn't necessarily full of guys like that. It's more of a college issue. Um, so. I see him as a guy who's more portable because he's a better shooter because of the versatility of his shot because he's bigger. Um, he's a better passer than than BJ. Um, well, he does try things a little bit more in terms of maybe that's not the best pass, but that's also a thing I like in my young wings is that they're trying to make passes that are maybe a little beyond their current ability, but at least they see it. it it's better to, to try an angle that you see than to not see an angle at all. Um, yeah. I'd always ask a, a young, well, even young initiators, I'd always look for guys who are more willing to take gambles and teach patience than the inverse. Yeah. It's like, imagine if you were, you know, you had a young big man who never fouled. It's like, well, you, you're clearly bad at blocking shots because if you're never, not even close to foul, um, you know, get close. If you hit the arm, we'll, we'll get there. But if you're not doing any of that, then you're never really going to impact things. Um, with Zaire, he can... The biggest issue is, like, he can struggle to get to the rim. Um, Stanford runs a, a really pretty motion offense. It's probably one of the ten nicest-looking offenses that you could find in this year of college basketball. And he, even with that advantage, he can still struggle to get to the cup because people can just outstrong him. He also um, – he's a soccer player at heart. Uh, when people touch him, he's he, he falls, and he falls in some pretty um, – non-Oscar-worthy ways. There was one that's like a full second delay against Indiana. It was kind of like lightly brushes him, and he just maybe goes about seven feet, um, which as, as a member of the Skinny Guy Coalition, I can't support that if you're going to flop to it better, um, not necessarily harder. Um, so as I hear, I think that he has uh, like some really clear, clear strengths and some really clear weaknesses. Um, if a program believes that they can put strength strength on him, if they can use him in a small role, in a, in a specific role, not necessarily small, in a specific role early, where it's defending up against guards, keeping him off wings at, while he adds strength, um, the shooting is going to keep him on the floor. So I think that he has uh, a lot of usage immediately, uh, where some of the other like guys in, in the seven to fourteen range don't. Um, but he's he's very very interesting as a as a prospect, especially now that he has two working knees. Yeah, well, just from the way you presented him uh, and the couple of games I've seen of Stanford, I think he's probably going to end up one of my favorite uh, Kings outside the top five options, um, especially if he keeps hitting these threes uh, like he has towards the later half of this current season. I'm very disappointed that that game against USC got postponed. Yeah, he was actually not going to play in that game uh, oh, because okay. he had an injury. So this actually sets the table for Zaire versus uh, versus Mobley. Um, yeah, I think that like Zaire is is a guy that I would probably take higher because I think that or I would take higher than other people because I think the things that are his issues are things I find to be very correctable. Everybody has different beliefs on what's fixable and what's not or what um, 
is it made easier by their team context or not. Um, so I think I I lean to be higher on Zaire than other people do, uh, just because I have a lot of faith in in NBA strength conditioning programs and and the, the confluence of his skills. Um, not everybody feels that way. Um, there are some like the the half court uh, rim creation like is legitimately terrifying um, when you you see how how difficult it is for him. Um, but he's also like a good player despite that. And you know he was playing you know with a a, me- a a transformers Megatron looking brace and still like holding his own in a college basketball game um, with almost no burst. So I think that there's a lot there. And in a normal season, I think that he would look dramatically better. Um, he's just one of those guys that like there's so much good that I'm willing to sort of believe I can smooth out the bad. Which speaking of, I see the next name on our list. Uh, which is uh, Scotty Barnes. Speaking of guys, there's so much good that you want to smooth out the bad. Um, what are your guys' early impressions of Scotty? Well, Brian and I were huge Okoro guys, and I think it's I, – I know it's not the same, but some similarities of a guy that does everything on the defensive end and kind of a playmaker on offense. So uh, looking at that, it's I think it's a weakness, a weakness for us there. Yeah, absolutely. We have a type – Okay, so I, I I hear you, and I say this as a person who like loves watching Scotty Barnes play basketball. Isaac Crow is extremely athletic, like extremely athletic. I Scotty Barnes has long arms, um, and that's a huge problem. Uh, he's like uh, if you watch a lot of his dunks, they're just length dunks. He just puts his arms out, and he's like you know a plus seven or whatever. Um. One of the smartest just defenders you'll find. He wants to guard one through five every possession. He's the guy who talks through everything. It's really easy to look at him and see Draymond um, because you're conditioned to because obviously his play style is influenced by Draymond and it's the same sort of like I'll do anything to win type of guy. My The issue is that he can't shoot at all and it's gotten worse over the years that I've seen him. Um, and it, it hurts me to say this as a person who like is – to like Florida State guys. Like, if I were the Timberwolves, I would have taken Vassell or Pat Williams one last year, both because, like, they were the solution to the Timberwolves problems, which we've kind of seen manifested this year, and, like, defense-first guys who can shoot um, with ball skills is the thing that's as useful as uh, anything else in the NBA. If Scotty could shoot or had, like, the athleticism of Patwell, he would be so much higher, but basically all of the shooting numbers are really, really bad. Interesting. Yeah. yeah I, sorry, Brian. I will say we, uh, Brendan and I were both watching the Indiana game earlier in the season where we were both just like, how is this guy creating any shots for himself? What's he going to do at the next level? And then he hits the stupid game winner. Uh, it's an you, extremely dumb game winner. One of the dumber yeah. game winners. It was a very uh, lame game winner. Yeah, so, I mean, like, he's – I guess him and Jalen Johnson, like, he is a more concrete version of Jalen Johnson where um, Scotty is not going to be on ball in the NBA. Like, Jalen Johnson has this theory of maybe he can have some on-ball utility if things develop a certain way. Like, Scotty understands that he is, you know, going to be a short roller, a guy who could just in, you know, half spaces and figures it out from there. And being a, a high field player, he has the ability to figure that out. But it also limits his ceiling for the most part because, as a as a guy who can't quite shoot, who needs to be used in a specific context, who has defensive versatility but not necessarily a bunch of uh, wide defensive utility, 
Like, you can put him on one through five, but you can't put him on all ones and all fives. Like, he doesn't really have the answer for Joa. Right. Five yep. in the league, I would feel pretty comfortable with, but you can't put him on – like, I wouldn't be good with him on Fox. So I think that separating the idea of what Scotty is and from, like, what is actually being presented or is really important because, like, the idea of Scotty is somebody you want to take in the top three. But his limitations on an NBA court and what reasonable development would look like are pretty difficult. Are pretty bitter, bitter pills to swallow for a guy who's just so much fun to watch. Yeah, I think that kind of answers. Uh, actually, we had one of our questions. This is uh, at Sawyer, if I'm pronouncing that right. Fifty on Twitter was uh, Jalen Johnson versus Scotty Barnes' prospects. So you touched on that a little bit. Uh, I do, uh, you know, back to the Okoro thing a little bit, which isn't obviously a perfect comp or in, in any or in any way. Um, I thought Okoro was one of the best passers in the draft. Um, well, I mean, there's some guys uh, ahead of him, obviously, but uh, I felt like Okoro was definitely up there. And I know Barnes is kind of getting some run as the initiator at FSU, but I, I don't feel like the passing was quite on the same level of what I saw of Okoro. Um, and I thought Okoro was a really well-rounded, actually, like offensive prospect aside from the shooting. Um, and I, I feel like there's moments out there, like Bryant was saying, that um, I, I'm really uncomfortable with Barnes being the initiator. Yeah, I just I don't think there's like any equity there. Um, in a lot of ways, he reminds me of Denny, where like you can get him to do that at lower levels, and like in a lot of ways, you're just giving him you know reps as decisions, which later he'll use to be like an overqualified tertiary guy. Um, but no one is going to ask Scotty Barnes to like he's listed as the starting point guard at Florida State, which like God bless them, but like that's just not going to happen. Like, I love – like, that's how they recruited him. Like, yeah, you're our starting point guard. They don't have a backup on the roster. It's like, no, we're doing this, doing this. Um, but his limitations are also severe. Um, it's, again, the difference between him and Jalen Johnson is that he doesn't shoot – or Jalen Johnson struggles to shoot and Scotty Barnes doesn't shoot. He will be wide open and not take them. Like, he has to really be goaded into it. And one bad miss can shake his confidence. Um, like, I've seen, you know, Jalen Johnson have games where he – shanks three or four jumpers in a row, and then, you know, the next time down, he'll shoot it. Where Scotty has a bad miss, like, it can really rattle him. Um, I think that Scotty is a, like, the difference between Okoro is that Okoro has, like, these moments where he solves the defense. He can make really, really incisive passes, where Scotty just makes the right decision. And that's really helpful if you have a, a motion-based offense, but it's not particularly helpful if you're the person who needs to create that advantage, because the right decision is you creating an advantage then kicking it to somebody else. Um, he is a going to be a very useful piece for a playoff team one day, um, and he's going to be a fan favorite wherever he shows up the first day. I just want him to go to a place where he plugs in. Um, and that, like, I could see that possibly being Sacramento if a number of other things happen. Like, if there is another, uh, like, let's just say somehow Zach Levine shows up. And then it's Zach Levine, Scotty Barnes, De'Aaron Fox, Halliburton, and then, you know, either Bagley or, or Holmes or whatever. Suddenly that's extremely interesting because you have multiple people who can shoot. You have, you know, there is advantage that Scotty Barnes can pass out of. You have short rolls that he can use. Like, if you put him in a context where his skills are essential to winning, he's a, a prospect that should be very high up a team board. But as a general, if you're looking at, you know, rank all of these players on how likely they are to contribute to every team's level of winning, 
that's a much more volatile process. Yeah, I will say that there's with Sacramento's success on offense this year, I think that there is uh, it's really easy for some fans just to look at Scotty Barnes and see um, the the defensive upside and think that the Kings don't need to focus on adding another score at this point. But if we look at this team beyond a couple of years from now, the only young guys that for sure should be on this roster in a couple of years are De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton. And I, I mean, maybe Marvin Bagley, if he ends up being more of a, a core piece, I don't think any of us can predict that at this point, but I am not willing to, just gamble. A lot of the King scorers are older guys who probably won't be with this team in a couple of years. And without, you know, scoring advantages across the board, I don't know how far this Kings team will be able to optimize either Fox or Tyrese Halliburton at the next level. And some of the offensive advantages are the defensive liabilities. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. In in between all of the – because we just rattled off a whole bunch of, you know, forwards, and the Kings desperately need a young forward. Um, You know, the names we just talked about, Jalen Johnson, B.J. Boston, Scotty Barnes, and Zaire Williams, uh, you're on the clock. Those are the guys who are there. Um, Which of those would you take for Sacramento? And that's tough. Um, I think it's between – Jalen and, and Zaire. Um, Zaire shooting is, is extremely valuable, and, you know, you could present spacing issues uh, for teams. Just, you know, him and, and Halliburton are pretty comfortable taking extremely deep threes. Um, and then Jalen uh, gives you a, a person who's comfortable on big wings. Um, I would lean Zaire personally and – Try to find you know a, a replacement level wing who can do point of attack, um, just because shooting is is Zaire shooting is probably on you know considering team context more valuable than than Jalen's passing because Jalen probably isn't going to be able to to do primary work, um, and it seems like the Kings have a pretty good strength conditioning uh, system and uh, you know skinny guys are pretty easy to fix. You couldn't you couldn't just let Poku sit, huh? Come back on the King's Pulse and uh, remind us you were the dude who was telling Sacramento that no, we really should take another look at uh, Poku, huh? It would be fun. Look, I, can't, I didn't say it'd be good. I just said it'd, it'd be fun the first year. Is it not fun right now? It is. Oh yeah, is yeah, it, yeah. Top five in turnovers. It's it's horrible yeah. but fun. Yeah. Again, if look, if you're trying to be bad for Kate Cunningham, my pitch was take Poku and have the, <laughs> like, we were like yeah. Yeah, we're a laughing yeah. stock, but no. we're, we're enjoying it. I will say that pretty much the entirety of the Kings Herald staff turned around on Pokushevsky right after that pod because we were like, "Oh well, yeah, we totally are going to be going into a uh, another rebuilding, retooling year next year. Why not take the highest gamble and and fade for Kate, as the youngins are saying?" Yeah, and, you know, obviously the idea um, I think that you've kind of mentioned and I think Brian and I have uh, noticed and fairly obvious is a a top guy in this draft really could quickly change the direction of the franchise. 
Um, but where do you feel Sacramento would have to fall to where they're losing out on a chance of a significant difference maker? And this is a, I'm starting to get to Twitter questions here. This one's from Ryan Ritter, who wrote for Royal Pain for a while back, um, friend of the show. Um, where, where do you feel like they need to be drafting within in order to select a real difference maker? Okay, so um, I'm going to take the term difference maker pretty literally here. Um, and if there's one thing that this class really, really has, it's interesting wings. So um, every draft, like people say, like it's a weak draft and it's a strong draft. And like all of those things, are gener- what, what strong draft means is that like a person could do 10 minutes of work and give you a good top five. Like the guys at the top, are they really good? Cool, it's a strong draft. Like I don't have to do any work. A weak draft is where people might get fired. Like weak drafts are all the ones that like yeah this it, Kawhi was the 15th pick yeah we just uh he sweat too much so we didn't take him high Indiana Pacers uh or that was the Phoenix Suns sorry the Phoenix Suns had that as their reason why they didn't draft Kawhi um so weak drafts generally just mean like there's there's in every draft there's guys that depending on if they went to the right developmental context if they went to the right team context they could be you know one standard deviation better than in a normal context so in this draft you have a whole bunch of extremely interesting dudes. That could go anywhere from, you know, 8 to 20. Um, that are all wings, and many of whom have point of attack defense plus shooting. So um, you know, we have Terrence Shannon Jr. out of Texas Tech, who's 6'6". He's a lefty. Um, he's uh, one of my favorite players in, in this draft class because he uh, has extremely cool hair. Uh, another Texas Tech guy. I know you guys enjoyed Jim Hyatt this thus far. He is... Um, Kind of funky in that, like, he does a lot of his shooting off the dribble because his, his motion needs a little bit of work. Um, it's a little bit further out. Uh, but he has sort of established himself as a, a lottery-level guy um, and somebody who has a specific development path that could solve some of the Kings' problems. Um, you have Greg Brown, who is a former top-five recruit, um, a top-five, top-70, how these things shake out. Um, an absolute nut athlete. Um, uh, it was good for an East Bay game in high school. Um, he doesn't pass at Texas. Uh, I think he has a .1 assist to turnover ratio. He has um, one assist. This yeah, he has one assist. To one assist this <laughs> uh, wow. Um, but if you wanted to play fast, uh, I mean, he's he's a guy who, like, has made developments on his jumper. Um, there's still a bit more work to be done. But um, he is, a you know, at 6'9". He is another guy. It's like if you want to run, he's your bet for a stretch four, like a hyper athlete stretch four um, who gets deals and block shots. You have Ron Harper Jr., who's like uh, built nothing like his dad. Um, he's you know uh, sort of built like a roadblock, just all shoulders. Uh, he's listed at two fifty, and I think he's probably like two sixty five. Uh, absolutely six six and two fifty. Good yeah, lord! Oh, I, he's, I think he's bigger than two fifty. Uh, oh my God! Uh, you know, there's guys like Scotty Lewis who are you know extreme energy wings. Uh, we have you know guy who is considered to be a top ten um, player in Rocco Pukation, a six nine wing who plays with a level of violence that you just don't see very often. Uh, he's you know making his first international start at seventeen and like giving a grown man in Eastern Europe a, a forearm shiver on the way to dunking. Uh, as a developing shooter with, you know, very interesting passing flashes. Uh, you know, a guy who was considered top five six months ago, Usman Garuba, uh, is an extremely low usage 
you know, another Draymondy type who just makes the right defensive rotations, but he's playing at a, a place that doesn't care if he develops or not because he's leaving. So he just sits in the corner. Um, he's come on in the last couple of months, so he's 29th on Tankathon's big board right now, 28th on Tankathon's big board, but he was top 10 six weeks ago. Um, Josh Christopher is uh, a uh, a guy who creates tough buckets. Like this is a class that has a whole bunch of really interesting guys from six four to six ten. Um, so I would say that if there was a year to get a couple of picks and say like let's go the Atlanta Hawks route where we get a whole bunch of young wings who do different things at different sizes with different builds, like this would be one. Um, so I mean to go back to our original message like. Again, I'm saying this 10,000 feet, but, like, the way that the Kings are set up right now with, like, a couple of tweaks, like, this could be very interesting very quickly because this class is, is pretty set up for the sort of things that the Kings need. I mean, we haven't even talked about James Boatnight, who's, like, uh, we talked about how Zach Levine would help. Uh, can I just even James Boatnight, who's very similar to Zach Levine, uh, another just just freak athlete uh, who is sort of your, your almost, like, perfect 2004 shooting guard. Uh, he's got a little bit more, uh, you know, playmaking chops in his, in his sophomore year, but another one of guys who just flies. Slasher wants to really, really, really hurt people. Um, can move his feet on defense. Um, but if you're a team that needs, you know, a, a downhill two or a guy who can get a little bit of advantage or or set up uh, others with just the the, the rim uh, frequency, we have that. We have we have Corey Kispert who has never missed a jumper in his entire life. Um, I can attest to that. He's never missed a single shot against St. Mary's. Um, he's, you know, this is a class that is full of legitimately interesting, and I mean, interesting is fun, but interesting for the purposes of the Sacramento Kings need. Um, which, as much as teams or as much as fans may not want to hear this, like they've set themselves up to fit all of these guys. Often, you find. Teams are like, yeah, we need a three and D wing who never dribbles. Like, we have everybody. Everybody on our team loves to dribble and loves to run pick and roll. We need a guy who just doesn't want to do any of that. So, like, they can only take Corey Kispert or maybe Greg Brown, depending on you know what version of Greg Brown you get. But like, those are the two options they have for this entire draft. Guys who just like are not going to ask to have playmaking reps, but because Sacramento is in such a flexible position and because you know so little is nailed down essentially, except for uh, floater god Rashawn Holmes. Um, De'Aaron Fox and uh, Tyrese Halliburton. Almost everybody here is in play. So I would say that, um, you know, nine months from now, the Kings could be like, yeah, we have an extremely fun young core. Um, is Bagley in it? Who knows? Is uh, Luke Walton in it? Hopefully not. Um, but the idea that, like, oh, yeah, we're the Sacramento Kings. Like, I, I used to be a Warriors fan. Like, I legitimately I legitimately quit being a Warriors fan the second they drafted Stephen Curry because I was like, yeah, we're done. Like they drafted the guy with broken ankles. <laughs> I, I, I'm not joking. I, I, I have a 30-minute podcast where I talk about this exact fact. With, wow. Because uh, I wanted Brandon Jennings. I was like, yeah, we drafted the guy with broken ankles. It's a wrap. <laughs> that, I mean, the first time I remember cheering against uh, the Warriors, what? the first time I remember cheering against the Warriors was when Brandon Jennings handed 55 to them. And I was like, see what I told you. We didn't draft the L.A. guy. We drafted the broken ankle guy. and He got served 55. This is why I left y'all. So, yeah, uh, I was um, on that. I was on that wagon with you uh, in 2011. I said, "Very no, I, I don't see what's going on with Steph Curry." I was at his last college game, and I thought, "Boy, this guy will be, you know, a solid backup point guard if he could stay healthy." Uh, and 
boy, that was my first entirely wrong draft evaluation. So I'm on Look, that team with you. Fatalism doesn't work. Yeah. So yeah. I, 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 I truly appreciate having somebody with such a wide draft expertise coming on and telling Sacramento Kings fans that the long-term development of this team isn't quite so bad as we might think it is. Look, I understand how crazy it is that I was like, yeah, look, guys, it could be good. Listen to me, the guy who is as wrong as possible about <laughs> Steph Curry. But that wasn't the way that story was supposed to come out. I promise. <laughs> um, any more Twitter questions? Yeah, so you preached, um, you know, that a, a lot of guys or, or most of the guys in this draft would be a pretty good fit. Is there anybody sitting near your top ten or, or lottery-ish talents that you view? And, and you mentioned a few of them. Um, briefly, I, I think that you would view as not ideal fits um, with the current roster. Um, so I did actually leave out one of my favorite fits, and I feel like I should just say it real quick. Um, Moses Moody is a, a, a perfect fit. Um, Moses Moody is another Montverde player. This is like our fourth that we've talked about at this point. Uh, Moses Moody is six six. He has incredibly long arms. I think he's like a plus seven. Um. He is a, a pretty wild point of attack defender. Um, and he is, because he's really long, like he's a person whose biggest issue in high school was that he uh, was really skinny and he didn't have core stability. So like he would fall down on threes. It's led to him having like a great fake fall down three. He's gotten like 10 people in college with the four point play routine. Um, the weird skills you learn when you're, when you're skinny. Um, but as he's added strength, he's added some some uh, positionality to who he can defend. Um, the passing has gotten better from from what I saw in college. Doesn't really turn the ball over. Uh, it started to got get uh, fouled more. Um, it's at a 42% free throw rate, which, like, granted, Arkansas has like beat some bad teams to absolute death. But um, if you were to look at a, a young, you know, point of attack wing, the things that you would look for is like. Does he make threes and does he make a variety of threes? Does he make free throws? Is he a stocks person? Uh, and how, what percentage of his shots are threes? And Moody checks all of those boxes, and he's also a winner. So, like, to me, Moody is one of those guys that if you said, like, oh, yeah, the Sacramento Kings have the eighth pick, Moses Moody is there. Same reaction as, as the, you know, the first I situation was It's like, yeah, just sprint. Just go get the guy who does the exact things that you need, uh, who – could be scaled depending on how he develops. If he, you know, if the dribbling comes around, he's flashed some, some pretty unique um, uh, off the dribble stuff or off movement stuff, um, which obviously having core strength is important for. Um, so so guys, is, he, that, is he in that conversation we threw out earlier with Zaire, yeah. Jalen Johnson, yeah. BJ? Yeah, he, he would be for me just because of how unique that context is for the Kings. Um, similar to how Tyrese was, like Tyrese was the exact perfect fit for, for the Kings, and so you know. Even if you guys had a pick at five or six, you would want Tyrese. Yeah, it, it happened to be a lower spot, but it's still the same idea of like when when the fit works, like you just don't you don't look a good fit in the face. Um, people who I would say are not a good fit. I mean, BJ's to me, BJ's a really bad fit. Like BJ's a bad fit. Dacian Nix is a really bad fit. The other G League uh, point guard, he's six uh, five, like two thirty, but it's it's not a. That's a that's not the same type of two thirty as as uh, Ronald Harper or Ron Harper Jr.'s two sixty. Uh, Keon Johnson's a little bit of a tough fit. Um, he can vacillate between like five and ten depending on who you can talk to. Um, the lack of shooting and the the thinness is, is sort of a two piece. He's super explosive and and has value, but 
it's a it's a weird look. Um, and then I think Jalen Green is an, is not an ideal fit for me. Um, I think that the two guard that uh, the two guard I would want in that particular situation um, is is a point of attack defender and usually a, a sturdier point of attack defender um, because that's the, the commonality between uh, Halliburton and Foxes. They're they're fairly wispy dudes. Um, while Moody is you know only two hundred five, like that's a the difference between Jalen Green at like one eighty and Moody at two hundred five two ten is uh it's it's pretty dramatic for guys who are pretty similar size. Well, I think you're going to drive me to go check out a whole bunch of Moses Moody tape because I always gravitate towards three and D wings. I mean, I fell in love with uh, Mikael Bridges and was totally ready for the Kings to draft him until they jumped up to number two. So um, just that kind of archetype and everything you said there. Uh, I'm going to go uh, watch a whole bunch of Arkansas games now. Thanks. Well, Arkansas has played Tennessee, and those are some fun ones. Mm. Mm. Um I think that we successfully kept it under 120. Shout out to Luke <laughs> I think we have. Well, uh, thank you, PD, for coming on. Uh, we, we really appreciate it, man. I want to give you a second to, to plug anything that you got going on, man. Yeah. Um, I have a shooting series that um, that I started last week that's um, a little bit different. Um, I find shooting to be the, the least uh, articulately talked about uh, skill in, in basketball discourse. I think that it's still a little bit stuck in the 1960s of form and, and uh, you know, shooting the old ways. And um, in the next couple of days, I should have a piece that features uh, B.J. Boston and Terrence Shannon Jr., two guys that we've talked about, and how their footwork and self-organization has impacted their shooting at the college level. Um, and it's a piece that I'm aiming towards, you know, people who want to learn more about the, like, what shooting actually means, what it means when we say you can fix shooting, and how it will change draft evaluation going forward. You can find that on uh, Twitter page. I'll give a shout-out to that shooting philosophy uh, doc piece you have, uh, given a whole bunch of context into our old buddy Tyrese, uh, I mean, uh, Tyreek Evans. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, shout-out to the Kings for having the Tyreek Evans pre-draft workout footage still up. It was fun to re-watch those uh, old shots. Yeah. You guys are... Uh, very familiar with that one. Um, yeah. So, yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. Um, if you want to read any of my work, it, it's in my uh, Twitter page. It's uh, at Above the Break 3. All my work is free. Um, if you have a couple bucks to spare, I understand times are tough. I'd appreciate it. Some of these stats and video packages aren't cheap. I try to pay it for as much as I can. Thank you guys again for having me. Yeah, thanks a bunch for coming on, PD. And, uh, yeah, yeah, you have a Patreon out there, which you're being very humble in now mentioning, I will say. Uh, um, yeah, definitely your work is, is worth paying for, even though you put it all out there for free. Um, so definitely would encourage um, supporting you in that way. And it, the Kings Herald has a Patreon as well. You can support local independent Kings coverage. Um, and if you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Pulse podcast, where we're probably going to be getting into more draft content, because why would we talk about the current uh, horrible defense that we're seeing night in and night out. We'll focus on on a couple of positive progressions that we've seen from some of the young guys. Um, but if you enjoyed, please subscribe, rate, and review, and you'll hear from us again in the next couple of days here.